I love watching that video because that's like uh, where the Israelites were traveling through. All those pictures are, they're not just random desert. That is all in the Sinai and Judean uh, wilderness. And so in case you were wondering, uh, watch out right now. Uh, I'm going to catch a few regular people off guard. So welcome to Jericho Road Church where we desire to love God and love others. And we remind ourselves of this each week by saying this phrase out loud. So we're just going to say one phrase today. Ready? What are we going to say? I love God and I love others. Ooh, that was different, right? Okay. So we'll see if we like that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Tommy was already protesting in the back. <laughs> he said, uh, McDonald's doesn't change their, their I'm loving it phrase and you shouldn't change yours either. But I uh, don't We'll see. We'll see. Give it a, give it a try. I kind of want to stay stuck in everything. And, but what a blessing it is for me to be at church this morning. Uh, last week we began this series called Lessons Lost, Lost Lessons, whatever it's called, right, Pastor Peter? Um, and we're going to, we're discovering insights from when the Israelites were, were lost in the wilderness, when they were traveling that, uh, Judean and Sinai Peninsula, that kind of desert that we saw, uh, just really rocky, barren wasteland. And so last week's lesson was, uh, when you're lost and feeling lonely, you're actually never alone. God walks with us in the wilderness. That's what we were looking at last week. And, and today... What we're going to see is we're going to see this idea, and this is the title of the sermon, Just God. Meaning, am I with just God and God alone? Or am I just kind of going along with religious things? In my life, it has to be just God, not God and something else. Specifically, the Israelites learned that it had to be just God. No in-between, kind of like, kind of for God, kind of not for God. And we're going to look at this in two instances in the, in the life of the Israelites as they were wandering this wilderness. Now our first lesson comes from when the Israelites made this golden uh, calf idol at Mount Sinai. If you've been at church for any amount of time, you'll be familiar with this narrative where they, they build this golden calf. Now, before that happens, uh, I want to share something. I read the Bible a lot. Like It's like my career, right? It's my professional career. And, and sometimes you read something so much that you don't actually read it anymore. I don't know if you've been like that or you've seen it so much that you stop seeing it. And then this is one of the things like this week, I was, uh, as I was preparing through, I was looking at uh, this Exodus that I'm totally familiar with. You guys are familiar with Moses brings down the Ten Commandments, right? And then he throws them down because they build this golden calf or whatever. And, and for some reason, like in my mind, the timeline had got messed up and, and I didn't realize that I mean, I, I guess I knew that Moses went up to the mountain and he went down the mountain, but he went more than once. He went more than twice. Moses went no less than six times up and down the Mount Sinai. So God would say, hey, come up here. Moses would come up. And then God would tell him something. Go tell the Israelites. Then he'd go back, forth, back and forth, back and forth, no less than six times. And Moses went up and down uh, over and over, conveying God's message back to the people. We see that in Exodus 19 and 20. And after, this, after one of these trips, God gives the Israelites the Ten Commandments. And here's this thing where I somehow missed it. I've been a Christ, I'm a career Christian. I'm a pastor. I, for some reason, didn't realize that when I had the Israelites getting the Ten Commandments, it was always Moses bringing them down and said, here's the Ten Commandments. But for some reason, I didn't realize that God actually gave the Ten Commandments to the Israelites prior to the stone tablets. He came and God spoke audibly to the people of Israel. 
So I, when I went back and read it, I was like, I guess I knew that, but it didn't quite register to me because I think I've seen too many movies where they get the Ten Commandments by Moses bringing them down, right? But God had spoken to them audibly the Ten Commandments prior to Moses getting the commemoration. So the, the stone tablets God writes on them, that's sort of like a, a plaque saying, like, this is what had happened. It was a commemoration rather than the first time they were hearing that. And for some reason, I never made that connection in my mind. I had that the first time the Israelites were hearing it was the same time they saw the stone tablets. And, and that's really weird because I've read this an awful lot. And I've taught this passage in, in, you know, probably 15 times I've taught through the entire book Bible. And, and for some reason, it just finally connected this week that God actually spoke to the Israelites audibly, the Ten Commandments, and they actually agreed to follow them prior to the, the stone tablets of Moses. And so, so this is where we find ourselves. And I want you to keep in mind, so they had gotten the Ten Commandments and they had agreed multiple times to obey them and follow them. So God says, here's my agreement. You want to do these things? And they're like, yes, we want to follow these things. And keep in mind the first two commandments. The first one is, you shall have no other God before me. And the second commandment is, you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. So God says, do not make any image of, of anything in order to worship it. Then about a month later, Moses is again called to the mountaintop. He goes up to the mountaintop, and while he's there, he just doesn't return. It's a day, then it was a week. Then it was two weeks and it was four weeks. It's been a month. Now it's over a month and Moses still hasn't come back. And the people are like, uh, I think he's probably dead. You don't go up because, uh, this, you know, Mount Sinai is this big mountain and, and there's no food and water up there. And there was this dark cloud covering it. God was in this dark cloud, this, this cloud that you couldn't, impenetrable, you couldn't see it. And sometimes there's lightning and thunder. And that guy's been gone for like 35, 36, 37 days. He's cooked. God must have got mad at him. He's probably dead. And so... That's what they're thinking, and then that's when this happens in Exodus 32. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron, and then they said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us out of Egypt, we don't know what happened to him. But Aaron answered them, Take off the gold earrings of your wives and your sons and your daughters are wearing and bring them here to me. Uh, so all the people took off their rings and they brought them to Aaron and he, and he took what they handed him and he, and he made it into an idol, cast in the shape of a calf, fashioned it with a tool. And, and they said, uh, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. Then Aaron saw this and he built an altar in front of the calf and he announced, tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So the next day the people rose early, sacrificed burnt offerings, presented fellowship offerings. Afterwards they sat down to eat and drink. They got up to indulge in revelry. They had a party. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down, because your people whom, whom you brought up out of Egypt have become corrupt. They've been quick to turn away from what I commanded them, and they have made themselves an idol, cast in the shape of a calf. They've bowed down to it, they've sacrificed to it, and they've said, uh, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. I've seen these people, the Lord says to Moses, and they are a stiff-necked people. So what is going on? Just a month prior, they had dedicated themselves. They had heard the Ten Commandments. They had heard what God told them to do. They agreed to it. And then all of a sudden now, they have this golden calf. Are they replacing God? I, don't, I actually don't think so. I think that's unlikely. Did the Israelites really believe that something they had just built with their hands had turned the Nile to blood, had killed the firstborn in Egypt? Did they really think that that was now this 
golden thing that they just created? I would say probably not. Look, they didn't all of a sudden not believe in God. It wasn't like, okay, yeah, we believe in Yahweh God, and oh, today I don't. Now I believe in golden calves, and they'll answer all my prayers, and the golden calf will take care of me. That, that couldn't have happened. After all that they had seen, the miracle after miracle, a dark cloud is, is over Mount Sinai currently. God had spoken to them audibly just earlier. So it seems that, that Israel fashioned an idol and they worshipped it as to God. So they were trying to worship Yahweh God, but they were doing it by forming this, this golden idol. The, the problem here then is that they went from just God and God alone to God and something else. You see, they, God said, I just want me and you and you and me alone. It's got to be just me. And the Israelites, okay, we got just God, we just got, we got a little bit nervous, so we needed God and a golden calf to help us out. There are two statements in the text, I think, which indicate that, that, that why they made this idol. The first is that they state that they want a God to go before them. Now, the word that they use in Hebrew, you might be familiar with, it's Elohim. Elohim is used of, of the God, like God, actually God, big G, God, God. But sometimes Elohim is used as like little g God, like little gods. And so they're like, hmm, are they trying to worship God, big God, or little g gods? And I think that the teller here is when Aaron pronounces, we are going to have a feast, and that feast is going to be to the Lord. It's translated in English. But uh, that word in Hebrew is Yahweh, which is only ever used of big G God, the God of Israel. And so they were saying, let's build this calf in the image of, or to remind us of, Yahweh, not abandoning God, or like all of a sudden they didn't believe in God, and, and they're, you know, now this golden calf has magic powers. It wasn't that. It wasn't rub the lamp, and now this genie is going to answer my, my wishes. And, uh, and so it seems most likely that they have God, God in mind, even as they're worshiping this idol. Now because of this, I, I, or, or why does this happen? I think, I think this happens because of two reasons, and both of those reasons are bad. I think they make an, an idol in the image of God because they need or want something tangible to follow. Remember their complaint was, make a God who will go before us because the one that was going before us previously, Moses, he's gone. He's dead. He's disappeared. We don't know what happened to him. And so we need to or want to follow someone, someone to lead us into uh, where God wants to, us to go next. And so that, that seems to be one of the reasons they choose to have an idol. And the other one is, is I think they fall back into their old spiritual habits of Egypt. Now, you guys are familiar with Egyptian religion. They have a God for everything. There's a God for sand and wind and stars and sun and a God for mosquitoes. And there's a God, like, there's a God for everything, right? They are polytheistic, but like really, really polytheistic, like many, 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 many gods, as many gods as you can imagine. That's how many they have. And so uh, that's a very common feature in all of the religions in the ancient Near East, multiple gods. And so um, what they would do is they would construct an image to remind them of the God that they were trying to worship. So if they were trying to worship the God of the sun, they would create an image that would remind them of that. If they were uh, trying to uh, worship the beetles God, they would, uh, not the band, but the bug, uh, they would create a beetle and they would worship that as a, as a reminder of the God that they were worshiping. And so that was really common uh, from this 400-year captivity that they were living in. That was how they navigated uh, sort of spiritually and religiously. So they didn't abandon their belief in God. Rather, they, 
supplemented it with something that they, they thought would work right now. They knew that God had explicitly commanded them, don't make an idol, don't fall back into your previous way of spirituality, don't fall back into the, the cultural way that the culture has, has supernatural or spiritual things, but do it a different way. And so even though they knew they weren't supposed to, they quite easily fell back into their old habits. See, Moses had disappeared and this just God thing didn't seem to be working out. And so they went with plan B. They fell back into their old patterns of thinking. They sort of fudged the rules a little bit, right? To do what seemed best for them. Like, because Moses is gone, we've got to do something. We need to be reminded of God. We, want, we need his favor, so let's do this kind of other thing. So they went from just God to God and something else. Now the second reason the text tells us that these people did this was uh, it comes from a statement of God. God tells us that uh, these people, they are a stiff-necked people. God says, I'll tell you something about those folks. They're stiff-necked. Now stiff-necked just means stupid and stubborn. That's all it means. He says, they are stupid and stubborn. They want it their way and they want it now. They're like the girl from the Oompa Loompas, right? She wants it. I want it, Daddy, and I want it now. That's exactly what God says. That's, that's the kind of people we're talking about. They weren't patient. They wouldn't wait. They wanted it. They wanted it now. Now, I'm thinking about this kind of idea, and, and I hate to say it, it seems incredibly similar to American Christianity and what idol worship would look like for us. See, I don't think idol worship for us would ever be like, hey, let's get this statue, and I'm going to pray the statue, and I think the magic statue is going to give me stuff. I don't think that would ever happen to American Christianity or sort of America culturally. I, it just wouldn't happen here. That's not what it looks like for us. It's, it's not that, that we would reject the belief in God or the supernatural or heaven. Almost all people in America say, yeah, there's a heaven, and almost all people in America say, yes, there's God. So it's not that they've rejected God. It's that we, we want God on our terms. See, we don't want just God. We want God and something else. When we turn to idols, it's not out of disbelief, but it's out of, out of a need to have some control in our life, to have tangible things to, to help bring security to us rather than the intangible God. Things like comfort or money, Look, I'm not greedy. I just want enough so I can be comfortable and I can be secure. See, we can't just trust God. We need God and a savings account. God and a retirement account. God and something else. See, I, I think idol worship is easy. Non-believers, they have idols in, in other countries for false gods, Hinduism and, and Islam and that sort of stuff. But believers have idols along with the correct God. The believers, they, we acknowledge the spiritual and the supernatural, but we want it on our terms. And so we look very much like the Israelites. I, I think if the ancient Israelites could watch us as we navigated in our culture, would they ask the same question we're asking of them? How could they possibly do that? Israel's construction of the golden calf related directly to their desire for Yahweh's presence as they journeyed into the promised land. They wanted to be with God, but they wanted to do it their way, with their terms. Their actions, although extremely sinful, were perfectly consistent with the culture of spirituality that was around them. 
It seems they allowed their culture to pervert their understanding of Yahweh and his ways, as well as how to worship him. And as modern Christians, I think we have to ask ourselves, does our culture pervert our understanding of Yahweh and his ways and how we should worship him? Look, we may not be constructing golden calf idols and labeling them the God who redeemed us from sin, but, but I think we are often worshiping other cultural idols alongside of Yahweh, and we have the exact same stiff-necked problem the ancient Israelites had, and we can easily fall away from just God to God and as we seek security and satisfaction in all sorts of cultural idols. My, my wife and I, we watched this really trashy a reality show uh, on Netflix called Love is Blind, and uh, it's totally lame. Um, but there's this one girl who was on it, and the, the premise is like you don't meet them, you just talk to them, and then you fall in love, and you get married without ever seeing them. Or you get engaged without ever seeing them, and then you get to see them, and then like, whoa, is love blind, or is it you know, based on looks, right? So uh, that, that, uh, that's one of our trash, okay, totally trash shows. Don't judge, don't judge. Um, but there's this girl on here. So there was this girl on one of the seasons. She, she was like, and we, we love it. We, when we first saw her, she's like, you know, the most important thing to me is God. She's like, God's the most important. He's number one in my life. And we're like, oh, she's really awesome. We really like this girl. I hope she finds a connection. And then like the next episode, she's like talking about all of her sexual exploits. And she was talking about like, oh, yeah, if we get together, we'll do this and this. And I was like, wait, didn't you just say like, you literally said that the most important thing was God. And then as she, after she has this sort of sexual conversation with some guy, she goes, yeah, but you know what's most important to me is God and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, really? Because, man, I read the Bible differently than that. Like, I wonder if she, she has God and something else, right? She, God is the most important, but, and I also like these other things. And, and I totally judged her, so that was good on my part. Uh, except... Are we any different? So that's not my particular problem, right? Like, but are we any different than her or the Israelites? Is just God too hard? So we do God and. God and my, my secret pet sin that nobody knows about. And it doesn't hurt anyone. It's just, just my little thing. Do we have God and my drinking problem that I... It's fine. Do we, do we have God and my personal desires? God and my comfort. God and my, my need to control. God and whatever fill-in-the-blank is idol for you. See, because I don't think our idol worship is going to be like, hey, I have a statue, it's going to give me magic powers. That's not how our idol worship is going to work. It's going to be, God, I want to have you, and I want to do it this way. And I want to have these other things. That's how our idol worship is going to look. Exactly like the Israelites. So the lesson we can learn from the Israelites is that God wants us for him and him alone. Not for anyone else. Not for any other idols or gods or, or priorities or, or other things in our lives. And then I was thinking this through and I was like, God, I want to be faithful to you and I don't want to spend 40 years in the wilderness because I disobeyed you. And so I would rather learn from their mistake and, and root out things that are in my life that might be an end. So I want to say, God, God, I, I, I want to follow you and you alone. I want to have just God and not God and show me how to do this. Because I'm not interested in 40 years of punishment in order for you to teach me that lesson. I'm smart enough to learn the lesson from someone else. That's why I never ask for, like, pray for patience. Because you know how long patience takes to learn? 70 years. 
That's how long that you'll be in that torturous situation. So I never pray for patience, just abundance and goodness and joy, you know, and, and you know, that kind of stuff. But, but so I, I can learn from someone else's mistake, and I'm going to learn from this one. Because we see that same lesson being taught to the Israelites in another instance. This is many years later, and it comes from the book of Numbers, same people, same wilderness. In Numbers 21, it says this. So they travel, they're traveling around now, they're, they travel from Mount Or. Uh, be careful how you say that one. Mount Or, of course, along the route uh, to the Red Sea uh, to go around Edom. But the people grew impatient on the way and they spoke against God and against Moses and they said, why have you brought us up out of the Egypt to die in the wilderness? There's no bread, there's no water, and we detest this miserable food. That miserable food is that, that miraculous manna that was appearing every single day and feeding them without with that like miraculous supernatural manna bread. That's the one they're complaining about. Anyway, then the Lord sent venomous snakes, love it, among them, and they bit the people, and many Israelites died. And the people came to Moses, and they're like, oh, our bad, we sinned, and we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So go, Moses prays for the people, and the Lord says, okay, take one of the snakes, put it on a pole, uh, make a bronze snake, and put it on a pole, and anyone who, if they get bit, and they trust me enough to do this really weird thing by looking at the snake on a pole, then they can live. But if they don't, then they're going to die. So you've got to have it my way. I'm going to tell you to do this really weird thing. And you can either do the weird thing and live, or you can not do the weird thing and die. It's up to you. And presumably there are people who didn't. They're like, no, I'm, I'm done with this God thing, and then they died. Did every single person decide to choose to look towards this, this cure? We don't know. So notice that they're complaining, though, about this miraculous food that God is providing. God is, the complaint is, God, we don't have enough food. Well, the complaint isn't we don't have enough food. The complaint is we don't like the food that you're providing for us. God, we are so tired of this miracle that keeps happening every single day, this supernatural thing. Always wanting just a little bit more. Ask these people. It's not that they weren't going hungry. They weren't going hungry. They had food. They had water. They were alive. He had been sustaining them now for over 30 years in the wilderness by Numbers 21. And they're like, we're just sick of that. We want just a little bit more. Never satisfied with what they had. Blaming God and whining, so they got snakes. <laughs> Having God's miraculous provision wasn't enough. They wanted God and a better meal package. Right? I got the meal, I want a better one, God. And I think we're so like this. Like God's been so good to us, miraculously providing all of our lives. We sing that song, all my life you have been faithful. And yet we find some way to complain. We have some way to, like, oh, God's not here. God's not doing this. We, we figure out a way, and it becomes not just God, but God and better food options, metaphorically for us. So we're like, yeah, God, I, I, I want you, but but I want you and some other stuff. It's not enough to just have you. And then God punishes them, but he provides a way for their salvation. But only for those people who are willing to do it God's way, not their way. Only for people who are willing to say, okay, my bad, God. I, I was trying to say, and, and. And then God says, okay, and snakes. And okay, my bad, my bad. bad. <laughs> I'll do it your way. It's weird. I'll look at this thing. You'll heal me. But Jesus uses this instance to speak of an even greater reality which speaks to, to our souls. In John, Jesus says this, just as Moses lifted up a snake in the wilderness, 
So the Son of Man, Jesus himself, must be lifted up and everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God, he loved the world so much that he gave his only and, and his one Son that whoever believes in that Son, they'll, they'll never perish. They're going to have eternal life. For God didn't send his Son in the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him, they're not condemned, but whoever doesn't believe, they, they stand condemned already because they haven't believed in the name of, of God's one and only Son. That's the verdict. That lights come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light, and they won't come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. So here, even us, we, you can do it your way. You'll just die. Or you can do it God's way, and you can have life abundant. See, what was happening to the Israelites happens for us today. God says, you want, I, I want to give you something miraculous. You know about it already. And, and we have been to church, you know about it already. He says, that's what I want for you. But it's got to be on my terms. It's got to be just God. You've got to say, Jesus, it's just you. None of the other stuff. In both of our passages, the Israelites could remain with just God or they could reject him and go their own path and, and choose God and. One choice leads to death and destruction, and one leads to life and peace and promise. Now, each person has a clear choice. Same with us now. We can choose to go our own way and accept the results and the consequences of that, or we can go God's way and, and embrace life and promise. So we have to ask this question, what idols need to be crushed in your life so that it will be just God? What and needs to be eliminated so it's just God? Are you, are you trying to do spirituality but do it on your terms, not God's? So God says to give him, let's say, here's an example. God says, I want you to give me 10% of your income. And you say, gross or net. <laughs> money gifts don't count, right? Uh, and only if I could afford it this month. Isn't that true? And besides, because I've I got to pay XYZ first. And God, you know it's important to be prudent with your finances, so I have to save for my retirement as well. So it's quite easy for us to have, and I, I don't give this example to try to guilt you into giving more. That, that isn't the point of it. The point of it is this. It's quite easy for us to say, I know what God wants. He wants just this thing, but I have all these other excuses. I have all these other ends. Oh God, I would give to you if I just had a little bit more. <laughs> Sounds a little complaining like the uh, snakes. You know, I don't like snakes, so I don't want any snakes either. So I'm not going to be like, God, you're giving me all this money. I can't give any back to you. If you just give me a little more, then I'll be generous. Like God's like, oh yeah, here's a snake instead. No thanks. I'm just going to learn what God says. And, and it isn't about the money. That, that example isn't given for, for trying to get your money or something like that. that. Your money is between you and God, not, not me. But I think it's a really clear example of something where we know what God wants. And then we have this and or a but or a this or a this or this. And we kind of don't do what God wants. Now, I'm not going to raise hands, but how many of us actually give 10% of our income and we've done it for the, our entire Christian lives? Like, oh, maybe not, maybe not. You know, I'm not going to ask because uh, I, I try to be really careful with that because I think you know, that, that's one of the knocks on churches, so I try to avoid that sort of question a bunch. But, but I think that it may not be in that area, but 
But I think that we have things that are ands. God, I'll follow you completely, and I, and I kind of want this other thing for myself. And I'm, I'm going to hold on to this other piece. God, you could have, the 90% is easy, right? To give, God, you could have 95% of my heart. You could have 90% of my thoughts. You could have 95% of, of my love and my devotion. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep this other thing because it gives me security. I'm going to keep this other addiction. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep this other thing that, that I, I know you don't want. The Israelites knew that he didn't want, God didn't want them to make an idol, but, but they felt like they, they needed something to guide them. They, they needed maybe a little bit for myself or, or whatever it was. And I think we're exactly like that. But, but I think we're smart enough, or I, I know I am, as, as I was you know, praying through this and think this the last couple of weeks. And I, I don't want snakes, and I don't want to be in a wilderness for 40 years. So I'd rather learn the lesson, <laughs> the lost lesson that God's trying to teach us to say, okay, God, Maybe I've gotten squirrely. Maybe I, it used to be just you, and now I've had all these ends, and, and I want to get back to that spot. So my prayer this Sunday is that, that you would see what God is teaching the Israelites and learn that lesson rather than having God teach you that lesson the hard way. And so God gives us a clear distinction. It's either just God or God and, but you can't have both. Follow him or hold on to your end. Like you have to pick. Follow him and keep your idols. Those are mutually exclusive. You can't keep your idols and follow God. So let's take a moment, and I, I want to invite you to just do this with me. I'm going I'm to put out there. Let's take a moment and let go of our and. What's your and? Take a moment and just pray and say, God, I've got an and. <laughs> I know it's supposed to be just God, but I've got you, God, and something else. And now let's take a moment to just reconnect and recommit to just God. praying through that, I want to ask that you just rise to your feet. And just tell God, God, I want to reconnect to you. Maybe, I don't know, I'm all about like sort of physically moving a, a bit. Maybe you're holding on to something and say, God, I want to I let that and go. And maybe you open up your hand and you let that and go to God. Just do whatever prayer is necessary right now. And then we're going to worship and I want you to get into this time of worship free. I want to get to this last minute of you and God and you and God alone. Don't worry about right or left, person, side or side, the praise team or any of that. Just just you and God right now. Let go of the end so you can be holy, purely, fully just God for this moment.